Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. Then we realized after a while it wasn't just hard work. It actually really was hard. Um, not only just the emotional roller coaster of yeah. it, but you're getting people to invest on you. You don't have a portfolio yet. My name is Esprit Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create The Women in Tech Show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. I call it actionable empowerment. Every single episode, you'll hear the story of a fantastic woman in tech, from engineers to founders to investors to journalists to designers, all sorts of different females in tech who have thrived. I want to share their stories with you so that you can can know what resources, mentors, and life situations they accessed in order to get to where they are today. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast, where we celebrate women in tech around the world. And today I am in Austin, Texas, one of my favorite cities in the States. Not exaggerating. I can't get enough. I'm already feeling the woes of the day that I have to leave. And today I get to celebrate Sarah. <laughs> Hi, Sarah. Hi, happy to be here. I told you I get loud. <laughs> Sarah and I were between it, leaving the door open and closed. I'm like, oh, I'm a little worried. I'm going to disturb people outside. <laughs> so, Sarah, go ahead, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. So, I'm Sarah Brand. I'm the founding general partner of a venture capital firm here in Austin called True Wealth Ventures. We invest in early stage companies, uh, usually seed stage, S E E D. And we invest in companies with at least one woman on the founding team or on the executive, you know, high level management team. And we're investing in the markets of what we're calling sustainable consumer and consumer health. So women led companies that are improving environmental and human health. And do you, oh, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say we are really proactive in terms of uh, Texas investing because there's no other VC fund that's that's specifically focused with a gender lens in um, all of Texas. Um, But we're really looking across the entire country. That's exactly what I was about to ask you is are you only investing in companies here? No, we're just really proactive here since nobody else is focused in this sector. So we're, you know, always judging business plan competitions, um, coming to co-working spaces like this, et cetera, in Houston, the major metros, Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, Austin. And she said co-working spaces like this right now, we're in this awesome space who's been incredible to lend us space to celebrate all these women in tech of Austin. You know, we've connected. uh, I talked to my teammate today, Janice, with over 128 women. Wow. Like, it's amazing. Yeah. And so we're in an Impact Hub. So huge thank you to Impact Hub. I love the community here. So go ahead, Sarah. Tell me, how did you go from being a little girl, exploring technology, to becoming a venture capitalist? When did mm-hmm. it start? Did you have tech in your house? Were your parents in the tech field? When was that first trigger? Was it when you were a child or was it later in life mm-hmm. where you're like, oh, this is this is an industry I want to pursue? 
So um, when I went back to my high school reunion uh, recently, I won't tell you which one. It was so (laughs) funny to look to meet these people who were um, well, not meet these people, um, see my friends, yeah, yeah, see my old friends who that were just not my best friends that I keep keep in contact with, but people that I knew well in high school, but just had lost contact with, and they were introducing me to their spouses and saying, "This is the girl I told you about who was like." explaining how rockets worked or airplanes worked oh, or, or and so I had no um, self-image of myself right. being that technical or you know back then but yeah. <clears throat> my dad was a mechanical engineer and so I think that's what started it most I'm a mechanical engineer that's what I studied for uh, my bachelor's and master's and PhD and um, I, I've found that women in mechanical engineering specifically almost always have dads who are mechanical engineers. So I think just growing up, he would always explain how things were made or how things worked. And so I wanted to explore more of that. I think that's what started it. Yeah. But then um, I recently – so my I, quick on my background, very male-dominated and um, with three degrees in mechanical engineering. Yeah. I was usually the only woman that you know had the bathroom to herself <laughs> and then uh, went into the semiconductor electronics industry for 20-ish years, more technical roles originally, right. like Intel and applied materials and companies like that. Then I switched gears, went into strategic management consulting, then venture capital, and really knew I wanted to do venture capital long-term because of the great blend of using my technical background to meet with entrepreneurs and think yeah. about the next solutions, but also use more of that management consulting background to help them with whatever problems they needed to solve business-wise. Yeah. And so I wanted to go get more operational experience to be a better venture capitalist, not be the, you know, PhD who went into management consulting and then is going to tell you how to run your company, right. but really more hands-on experience first. So um, went into industry and did a bunch of um, operational roles and a lot of M&A um, I can get into that more, but that's where I was when I um, well, I knew I wanted to get back into venture capital. But towards the end of my tenure at literally over ten years at this company, right. Fortune 500 tech company, I was asked to be the executive sponsor of the Global Women's Forum there because I was the only woman who was a vice president who had any technical or operational experience. Wow! So that's when my eyes were open to the fact that wow. that was the case. And you know what? I was just thinking, uh, people ask me often, what's the one common thing that after in- having interviewed hundreds of women around the world, what's that one common thing that they all have in common? Normally I say, which is true, that a lot of us don't feel we're enough. It doesn't matter at any level, internship or CEO of a multi-gazillion dollar company. It's just it's a very strange thing to have in common. However, I don't think about a lot of us have had fathers in technology. Like my dad was in tech and got me my first video game set and got home office with a computer. And it's very rare that I hear about a mom in tech. And I think that that was because that was that time right. or something. And maybe now moving forward, there will be more stories of mom in techs. And mm-hmm. so I receive it as like a parent in tech. But it's inter- It's a lot of times it's the dad. Yeah. With the yeah. interviews I've done. Yeah. yeah. And then when I was fi- – I can tell you more about, you know, how I decided to become this – you know, found this, this um, VC fund. Yeah. But I did a lot of self-reflection on what – did I like to do when I was little? Because yeah. I hadn't thought about that. And I found that I read lots of kind of sci-fi books, yeah. but like Einstein or physics and that like that's what I would do in my free time as yeah. a natural. And I don't know if it was probably influenced from just thinking mechanically or thinking, you know, right. like an engineer. But yeah. but this is before I went to college. Uh, so. Why? 
I mean, your your main MO to become a VC was essentially you wanted to bring your professional um, knowledge to help people. Like, is what what would you say that's pretty accurate? To yeah, to exactly help people scale that have really impactful businesses. And but like, why in this way? Because being being a venture capitalist, especially that it's your fun, it wasn't easy to mm-hmm. raise. So I mean, why this way? And then if you could walk us through your journey. Because it's a very difficult journey to start a new fund mm-hmm. um, and how you were able to accomplish the beginnings of it. Yeah. So first, I knew in general I wanted to get back into VC. I didn't think about starting my own fund for a while. It was I just want to be in this role because I love the blend of right. the technical and the business. Um, and I also, when I was getting my PhD, looking at what I was going to do, I realized I didn't want to put all my eggs in one basket. Right. Like, that I was looking at um, developing a polymer that could be recyclable, for instance. And I thought, right. if that doesn't work, then I've spent, you know, a decade of my life yeah. and it doesn't work. So I really wanted to be in venture capital also so I could help many awesome technologies, many great companies right. at once. And um, so I knew in general I wanted to do that. But then as I um, got closer to actually, you know, taking that leap back right. into VC after getting enough operational experience, I was asked to be the executive sponsor of the Global Women's Forum yeah. and because I was the only woman who was a VP that had operational tech experience. Oh, interesting. And so uh, that's when I started. Well, I was really upset at myself that I hadn't even realized that. Yeah. And realized because I'd been in mechanical engineering and semiconductors yeah. and venture capital, and my husband and I started a brewery here about. I don't know, 10 years ago now. Nice. I got to taste that beer. Yeah. (laughs) And we've got one woman finally there, but it's been all pretty much, you know, bearded men. And so I just was so used to being in all male environments that I hadn't even realized. Yeah. And so I started really getting interested in why I hadn't realized that. And then also what are the advantages of having more women in business? Is there even any reason to focus on this? Yeah. Um, other than just being lonely in terms of having any girlfriends at work. Um, and saw this significant financial outperformance of companies, whether they're Fortune 500 or venture capital backed startups that have more women in leadership positions. So then I started, uh, looking into the VC world a lot more in that space. Right. and saw that it was probably the worst numbers out there in terms of VC partners that are actually making investment decisions right. for women. Right. And then when there are more women decision makers, then the likelihood of investing in a woman founder or yeah. woman CEO goes up, you know, two, three X, um, whether they've got a gender diversity strategy or not. And then just the lack of women getting funding. Yeah. You, I'm sure you know those numbers, but yeah. it's still just ridiculous in terms of I try How not. You women are getting funded. Okay, this is as like this is as political and controversial as we'll get because I don't <laughs> like to steer it this way. However, I, I, I'm aware of the numbers. I personally don't focus on it because mm-hmm. I focus on what is possible. Yeah. However, I do just wonder of those numbers. I find that as a culture, we don't ask for what we want enough, mm-hmm. and I just think there's really fundamental things that we can do to. Um, to put ourselves out there more, to take more risks, to ask for more. And I know that's not like it's not a blanket solution because there are really uncool things that happen. Yeah. However, I would love like that's the reason why I created this podcast. I want us as a community to feel more empowered and go after what we want more, ask for more, um, become more resilient, more perseverant, not take mm-hmm. no for an answer. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. 
Do you think I'm being completely uh, utopian? <laughs> no. In fact, the, the reason uh, there's a number of reasons why I started the funds. But one of the reasons was because in corporate America, I was seeing that it was going to take a long time to move the needle way longer than I was had the patience for. Right. There's just a lot of unconscious bias in the system. And it takes a long time to turn over the C-suite, you know, with a pipeline or the board. And so I realized by going into venture capital, yeah. you can invest in fantastic women right. right away, create successful exits and role models yeah. and bypass that entire thing. Totally. I mean, like it, it's a compounding effect. The more work that we do to create a, a positive, productive, forward-moving atmosphere for women in tech, the more women in tech will be and will compound and compound mm-hmm. and compound. And yep. Yeah. And the other thing is that um, this is kind of unheard of in terms yeah. of VC funds, that over 80% of our investors in the fund are women. Oh, nice. And that's never happened before. Yeah. And that wasn't our plan. That wasn't our expectation. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the compounding effect, I now believe that it's women investors who are going to invest women who are going to be the yeah. impetus to this. And I, it, I think sometimes change. it has a lot to do with um, the – like one of my girlfriends has this amazing company. Um, I'm just going to say what it is. Nail Snaps, right? And she has to meet with investors all the time. And um, sorry, Angel, if this is TMI, I really don't think it is. Um, a lot of the guys that she's, you know, pitching to, and she d- pitches to both men and to women, but the guys don't understand it until their wives. Yeah. You know, so I think it can be as something as simple that if women are creating innovation for women, but then the people who are investing are men and they don't understand what it's like to do our, your nails or to have your period or like, right. like, of course, you're not going to invest in something you don't understand. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why I thought it was so important is because you can bypass this corporate, you know, yeah. thing, engine, whatever, that's going to just take a long time to turn. Yeah. And um, and create these needed solutions. Um, I think they're more impactful solutions, actually, when yeah. I look at women entrepreneurs and what they're solving for, yeah. which tend to be real needs that they see in their families and their lives, et cetera, right. which tend to be more drivers for improving environmental and human health. Um, there's a lot of reasons, you know, that it's that it's such a positive yeah. thing for the world. I think I think uh, jumping back into why I love doing this show, let's talk about your story on building this this fund. I mean, that's just insane. First of all, where do you start? <laughs> What's yeah. day one look like day where you're one. like, I'd like to have a fund. Then right. what? Lots of modeling first. Lots of reading. Lo- lots of looking at other funds. And um, and there's you know a lot of math in terms of the SEC has a limit of you can only have 99 accredited investors in right. a fund. And so if you want to get to 20 million, that means you know you have to have a minimum investment size for investors. You can't just you know let it, all your friends in for ten thousand right. dollars. You have to have a pretty good right. you know minimum. Um, so that's, that's one dynamic. And then the other is, you know, how many companies do you want in your portfolio? What are the valuations? What are the size investment chunks you can make? How much follow on investing? So there's lots of modeling, lots of thinking about given the markets you're investing in, what are the valuations and the exit timelines, et cetera. So that was day one through, you know, that's probably (laughs) six months really of, of talking to tons of people and finding the right model. 
and getting the story and the pitch together. And during that time frame, I also was um, talking a lot with Carrie Rupp, who is my partner. And she was the former CEO of Dream Adventures and had raised a $20 million fund to go along this you know, incubator. Love it. So she had the experience. Yeah, yeah exactly. And so um, she came on as more of an advisor and she had just uh, started Dream at Athena, the first woman entrepreneur focused kind of bolt on two in a top 10 accelerator. Right. And um, so by the but anyway, we we she really appreciated the opportunity, I'd say, because of her experience working with these women entrepreneurs, seeing these really great entrepreneurs that were told by male investors, sorry, we don't invest in women and right. things like that. And just saw, wow, these are great businesses, yeah. great leaders. And um, so by the time I actually started fundraising, uh, she came on. And did you have a a network to reach out to or did she or was it a combination of the two? Did you just knock on doors, door to door in Austin? (laughs) Hey, want to invest like a few million? (laughs) Um, More of the latter. (laughs) We, you know, talking about women don't ask for what they want as much. We didn't go to friends and family. Like at all. We really were looking at, okay, who is the right type of investor who invests in VC funds who we think would resonate with this right. investment strategy? And so we talked to those folks a lot and never actually ended up talking to friends and family. Yeah. Friends and family who invested said, hey, can I invest? Yeah. And we're like, yeah, yeah if yeah. you want to. And so it's just a different style, I think, yeah. than, um, than when I talked to other VCs that started their fund. They kind of asked everybody, you know. Yeah. Um, but we we really took because because of also SEC guidelines that you can't market to non accredited investors. You have yeah. to be super careful of never having anything out there that says, "Hey, we're fundraising." And so um, it was lots of coffee by coffee by coffee. Um, what makes True Wealth different than all the other funds that exist there? What I mean, of course, what you invest in. That's but I mean just the culture of True Wealth. What makes mm-hmm. it different? How do you support the entrepreneurs? We usually um, will invest in pretty early stage uh, and we like to take a board seat. And so we're really hands on. We help them with as much as we you know, really can and yeah. as much as we can be helpful. Yeah. So that ends up being lots of fundraising, but also hiring, operational things. You know. Hiring so hard. Yeah. And firing is so hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe harder, actually. <laughs> yeah. What's that whole saying? I keep thinking about it lately, like, uh, hire slow, fire fast. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I hire fast. I <laughs> hire fast, fire slow, which is like, I don't know. Opposite of, yeah. I'm just such a loyalist and yeah, compassionate. And I like, oh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> It's another story for another day. Um, can you share with us a little bit about your portfolio companies? Um, sure. We've got three right now. Um, so our first uh, investment was in Unaliware. It's a company based in Austin, Texas. They're making a smartwatch for seniors. And um, the CEO has an amazing story. I don't know if you're going to get a chance to talk to her, Jean Ann Booth. But she sold her last company to Texas Instruments and her company before that to Apple. Wow. And then she came out of retirement to build this for her mom because her Ooh. mom needed something and didn't want to wear the I fall in and I can't get up button around the, you know, the yeah. lanyard from 1985. Um, and so she basically designed this watch for her mom, realizing there was such a huge opportunity where technology has not kept up with 
well, uh, sorry, this industry yeah. of uh, personal emergency response systems, wherever the button, yeah. has not kept up with technology. Is not using modern technology in this in this market space. So it's a perfect example of women are making daughters and daughters in law are making most of the decisions for aging parents and parents in law. And so a lot of the traditional VCs don't have the insight into why this is such a, a need. Um, so that's one. Uh, second investment is in BrainCheck. It's a company based in Houston. Also, woman CEO, Yael Katz, and um, two founders, uh, Yael and David Eagleman, both neuroscientists, and they've basically taken cognitive health assessments and digitized them. So you can take, uh, you know, you can get access to your brain health on your phone, your laptop, whatever, in about 10 minutes. And so they're really going after dementia, actually, and in a memory. Um, as their big target market. So um, that's, again, tremendous one in terms of most Alzheimer's patients and caregivers are women. And uh, most even like sports related injuries and concussions, uh, women athletes are 1.5 times more likely to get a concussion and don't recover as well. Yet when you look at all brain research in general, it's been on male brains to date. So even though this is not a women's issue, what not a women's health issue, it's really amazing what a woman CEO brings to the table in terms of the insights. And, and you had, additional applications. And you had one more? Yes. And then Dermala is our third investment. That one's based in San Diego. And it's using the microbiome as a natural approach to skin disease and um, skin issues. Um, acne is their first uh, big target market, then eczema, then skin infections. But they're using probiotics orally and uh, prebiotics on the face to, um, to basically attack the bad bacteria with um, – with stable, well, it's too much to get into, but they're they're using a natural, um, a natural, very science based approach to um, to solve these skin disease issues. What's like a huge obstacle that you've successfully overcome, and what did you learn from it? Um, well, I think actually fundraising is was a huge obstacle, and you know, my prior VC experience, I just joined a firm that already had a $120 million fund. You yeah. know, and I just got to focus on the investing part. Right. But really having to raise that money, I think really um, was a huge challenge. At first we thought, and we were told, um, a lot of people are like, oh, you can't even do it. It's just impossible, basically. Yeah. Um, and thankfully, I didn't look at these numbers until later, but less than 10% of the funds that ever go out to fundraise right. end up closing and then of that like less than 10 percent over 70 percent don't close at nearly what they you know went out to wow. do at the f- in the first place so at first we just thought it was going to be hard work because we were going you know it, it, coffee by coffee and then getting suggestions of other yeah. people to talk to and it was just super inefficient it's yeah. just i couldn't my my world before in corporate america was like every 30 minutes i knew right. exactly what I was and now yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. like oh my god how long is this coffee going to be and like yeah. is it going to go anywhere <laughs> it was just so different so inefficient. Um, but then we realized after a while it wasn't just hard work. It actually really was hard. Um, not only just the emotional roller coaster of yeah. it, but of just you're getting people to invest on you. You don't have a portfolio yet. Right. And so many professional investors can't even invest in a first time fund because of, you know, they're not investing their own money. They're right. investing on behalf of others. And so that has to have a certain risk profile or, you know, track record and that kind of thing. Um, so finding the right people and you know having the right story and being persistent the fu- it's it's actually really hard if you're comfortable um how many 
people did you reach out to? What I'm getting at is how many people said no and you kept mm-hmm. going? Um, the vast majority for sure. Um, so I don't know how many that is. We never looked at those numbers. Is it over 100? <laughs> oh, God. It's like thousands actually. Oh, thousands? Well, over a 1,000. Yeah. What? Yeah. So you got told no over a thousand well, times. Well, let's see. I mean, we probably met with about a thousand people. I would That's say. insane. Yeah, you could it's start. A lot you could start a little city. <laughs> and a lot of the yeah, I was just actually over a some thousand cards for like a drawer, and I was like, oh my god, like the meetings that I've gone. Like through, how like long how did I've that met. take to me- it was connect with a thousand people? Um, That's insane. So this is from like like September first, twenty fifteen, through um, the end of seventeen. So. Two years. Two two plus. Mm -hmm. And so wait, did it take two years then to form the fund itself because you had to close on everything? Mm -hmm. Crazy. Mm -hmm. Where I was coming from was I know this female founder who pitched to, I think it was like over 150 investors and got told no before she found a very um, vital investor uh, Mm -hmm. and her company moved forward. And I'm like, man, 150 like pitches like and crying on the floor. And you're like, (laughs) oh, yeah. Cool, 100. Like, I got over a 1,000. I'm like, wow. And a lot of those are connections to other people or, you know. No, but still, it doesn't matter about the connection. It's still yeah. to be told no so many right. times. Well, those weren't all no's. It was oh, more I like what we're, you know, to understand the industry or to get connected to somebody else or that kind of thing. Can but we talk so. for a second about coffee meetings? Because, like, I just tweeted, uh, I, I would choose spontaneous adventure over a day, any day over a scheduled coffee meeting. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Here's where I'm coming. I, I run We Are LA Tech. There's thousands and thousands of people in Los Angeles that request a piece of my time. Right. It is literally as m- loving and caring as I, it is not physically possible right. to have a coffee meeting with every last person that thinks it's no big deal. Yeah. Um, having run, we were like tech now since 2012. So six years, uh, like I need to have boundaries because I've gotten sick and everything. So I do this yep. community day, whatever, but I keep thinking about just, Coffee meetings, like when is a co- – this is my question. When is a coffee meeting worth our time? When is a coffee meeting – when is saying no to a coffee meeting being an asshole? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I just – what oh. is this coffee meeting thing? I struggle with this all the time. <laughs> it is so horrible actually because you're right and I cannot be successful if I even take half of the coffee meetings that are requested. You know? No. Um, so when, when we were fundraising, we would do whatever we needed to. And because in it, but it was really hard because it's like, you know, oh, I know this great woman. You should meet her. Yeah. Like, no, I don't want to just meet a great woman. Like I, yeah. I, yeah. I have a limited time and but it's, it's really hard when you don't know, is this person, uh, because a lot of the high net worth individuals, right. family office individuals, they're more behind a veil. So you have no idea. Right. And so you kind of need to take the coffee yeah. meeting to see if it, you know, if that's why the person introduced you to that person. Yeah. And so that is a, that is a mess. And I don't, know how to you know filter very well but now what we do is we have 30 minute deal screening slots where if if you know somebody could potentially be a fit for yeah. our fund we'll have a we have a venture fellow from the UT McCombs yeah. um you know school that kind of filters the deals we for us someone from UT McCombs really oh, cool yeah we are very big fans of our venture fellow. <laughs> um, anyway, they'll help us screen the deals. And then we'll have very efficient meetings to just dig in a little bit deeper. And then if we know that a company isn't a fit, but it's somebody who's, you know, local, who's in our, 
world that we really want to help, yeah. then we have entrepreneur meetings that are 30-minute slots back-to-back. In person? Sometimes in person. We'll try to line up the in-person yeah. ones, uh, sometimes just over the phone because they're not in, in, you know, in Austin or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And uh, – at least bin them so we can, you know, dedicate a couple yeah. hours every other week or something to that kind of in stuff. In the beginning, I know this is, may sound funny, but in the beginning, when you first had coffee meetings, do you pay or does the person you're meeting with pay? I paid because um, it was they were I was starting this thing, and so or they might be investing, so I paid. It's 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 a funny question, but you know, when someone goes out to do their own adventure, especially as a woman and trying in this crazy age of what is our gender norms, you know? Yeah. It's very confusing. Yeah, I definitely would try to pay. Get yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important, like, uh, I'm, I'm picturing, like, a fictitious, you know, founder in my head right now, like, going out wanting to start this venture, and I'm thinking, have a budget for coffee meetings. For sure. You know? Like, yeah. include that in your go-to-market strategy. Yeah. <laughs> And that's so – I mean, when you're asking somebody for their time, maybe if as a potential I pay investor. I by the way. Yeah. Yeah, I think you have to. Yeah. 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 Um, so interesting. I think about this coffee meeting thing so often. <laughs> Just because it breaks my heart when I'm – it's not logical for me to no. meet with all these people. And then so for me, my solution that I created was community day. Once a month, I do a community day because I really like um, – I don't, I'm not a vetter. I'm a curator, but not a vetter. Like mm-hmm. nobody is not good enough for me to talk to. Like mm-hmm. that's just pompous and disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> so I just want to be accessible to quote unquote everyone. Yeah. However, it needs to be within me still being healthy. Right. <laughs> so I created a community day. Job. Yeah. I created yeah. a community where like uh, I schedule them 30 minute increments, like back to back all day long. Oh, it like doesn't, that. it doesn't matter who who you are like because my point is I want to be helpful for you I'm not expecting anything in return Mm -hmm. and then you could have your virtual coffee meeting and ask me whatever you need to ask me and I do it with Calendly and Mm -hmm. so I just pick the day of the month that's comfortable for me and then they every single time I get one of those like coffee meeting requests I'm Mm -hmm. like and here's the community calendar well that's pretty much what we do with these entrepreneur slots yeah Yeah. speaking of tools what is your favorite uh, app or software or business tool I have a least favorites, but my favorite is probably um, Salesforce. Oh, or when we were fundraising, that kept everything so organized, tied to our emails. Because I use Outlook, and um, my partner Carrie uses uh, Gmail yeah. or you know Mac. So, so interesting. Do you recommend Salesforce for a startup? Um, I don't know. I mean, like you were mentioning before, our fundraising process was, probably had to touch a lot more people because right. of the investment sizes and everything. Right. We were, and plus, we were starting to fundraise for Fund 2, Fund 3. Like, right. so there's a lot of people we're meeting. Um, hopefully, they don't need that. I mean, maybe, actually. It was so helpful to keep everything organized. Um, and for entrepreneurs that know they're going to have to raise another uh, round, yeah. that it might be really helpful to keep all their contacts we use pipe drive, but I'm just okay. wondering if Salesforce is even mm-hmm. I always pictured Salesforce as an enterprise tool. Yeah, we that's, use sales, that's what startled me. Yeah. Right. It's we use Salesforce IQ, which is the, you know, oh, the start, like the startup version. version. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where can people find out more about True Wealth? Uh on our website it has the basics. And can you spell it out for everybody? Truewealthvc.com, so T R U E W E A L T H V C like Victor Charlie. And are you on social too? Yeah, we're on Facebook, LinkedIn, and uh, Twitter. And where can people connect with you anywhere? 
Well, we keep an events page on our website yeah. uh, to really do the same kind of thing. It's not our own community day, yeah, yeah. but just where we're going to be coming up, nice. either speaking or judging or yeah. attending, just so we can meet everybody, you know, in the different places cool. that we're going to be at. So you guys go to truewealth.vc and look for the events page. And uh, you probably have mentorship sessions and stuff like that, too, I imagine, right? Yeah, not yeah. posted there. But um, if people contact us about an investment or, you know, they need help for something, then we can route them to those. We do these other... things in L.A., um, like speed dating, but for businesses and that you sit around and you just get to ask any questions to seasoned people. It's pretty yeah. fun. Um, what is your favorite book? Well, um, the book that I used to actually figure out that I wanted to start this fund was called Centered Leadership. It's by Joanna Barsh. And she was a director at McKinsey and Company, which is where I worked for a while. And she yeah. did this book about actually women leaders um, and then realized it was applicable to all leaders. But um, she sent me the book and I read it and it was just at a really critical time while I was trying to figure out what yeah. What it, it was exactly I was going to do next. And, um, it was not, it's not an easy book to read. It's, it's really doing lots of, you know, stop and reflect and write about this, yeah. or, you know, answer these questions and, or, you know, to have your question and, and re have a friend review right, it. Right. it was, but, um, it really, um, it, it was the foundation of, you know, of starting this fund. So. Awesome. Yeah. And we'll include all that in the show notes. Our amazing teammate, Carl, listens to every last word that I speak. I'm sorry, <laughs> Carl. <laughs> and so he'll have it in the show notes for us. Sarah, thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast. Is there anything else that you feel like we left out that you want to share? I would just say um, I'm on the board of the uh, UT College of Engineering and also uh, UC Berkeley's Mechanical Engineering School. And um, both of those schools have done a tremendous job of attracting more women into engineering. Um, and the way they've do, done that is to show them the positive impacts of what they can do, which tend to be in the environmental or the health spaces. And uh, I just see women entrepreneurs being on the front line of the world's most critical environmental and human health issues through their unique perspective uh, as, you know, 85% of all consumer purchases, as 80% as of all healthcare yeah. decision makers, et cetera. And so I just think it's so important for women to come into technology and to stay. You know, they, they, they show um, financial outperformance to companies, but they actually, more importantly, I think, show that they are creating solutions and coming up with solutions to right. some of the world's biggest challenges. So mm. I really, really, really want more women to come and stay <laughs> in technology. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And if you want to connect with more extraordinary women in tech around the world, remember you can go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com, womenintechvip.com, forward you straight to the Facebook group because I know so many of you are like, I don't know which one it is. So made it simple for you. Remember you can say hello on socials at Women in Tech Show and get the Women in Tech sticker. And I will talk to you guys. See you guys here, you guys in the next episode. Bye. Hi, this is Sarah Brand, founding general partner of True Wealth Ventures, a VC firm based in Austin, Texas, investing in women leaders, improving environmental and human health. And you're listening to Women in Tech. Impact Hub here in Austin, Texas has been our home. We want to give a huge thanks to making it possible for us to comfortably meet and interview several inspiring women in tech. They have the most collaborative workspace, incredible events, beautiful design, a hammock in their backyard. What? 
It's an incredible space. You have to check it out if you're in Austin. Thank you so much for being a part of the Women in Tech journey. Be sure to go to impacthubaustin.com to get your free day of co-working. I want to give a huge thanks to the team at SpyCloud. SpyCloud protects your employee and customer information from breaches and account takeovers. Try SpyCloud's early warning breach detection platform. SpyCloud made it possible for us to meet with several women in tech here in Austin, Texas, and I am so thankful that they have been part of the Women in Tech podcast journey. Get protected today by going to spycloud.com. That's S-P-Y-C-L-O-U-D.com. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.